I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career. A university that will make me feel supported and connected. I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sacktown Royalty Show. I'm your host, Tony Zaparis, and joining me on the podcast this week from Sacktown Royalty, Richard Ivanowski. Richard, how's it going? Doing good, Tony. Glad to be back. Yeah, I think last time we recorded uh, was before the season started, and my last several podcasts have all been pretty positive because of the hot start the Kings got on. Uh, they were in that seven or eight playoff spot for most of the year. Right now, they've fallen back a little bit after back-to-back losses to the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Two blowout losses where the team hasn't looked good. Of course, there's injuries and schedule losses and uh, other other information that makes those losses maybe not look as bad as they do on paper. But we should probably start there. Just how are you feeling about the team right now coming off of two bad performances? Is there an overreaction going on in Sacramento right now? Uh, should we be concerned? Are the Kings maybe not as good as we thought they were based on their play earlier in the season? Um, where is your head at with this team right now? Uh, I, I do think it's an overreaction. Um, you know, when we last spoke a couple of months ago, uh, I think I predicted 26 wins and uh, that Harry Giles would be the MVP of the year. So we've come, we've come like a really long way from then. And, uh, I don't think that two game, you know, dropping two in a row is something that we should be nervous about. I mean, you know, the best teams in the league drop two in a row. So, you know, if it starts to slide into four or five games in a row, then, then I think you have something to worry about. Losing those two games in a row uh, in a vacuum is pretty meaningless, especially when you consider the fact that those are two playoff teams that should be better than the Kings, um, even though the Kings have played well recently or, or through the earlier part mm-hmm. of the season. But uh, the context how Jaeger pulled the starters in the first quarter against the Timberwolves and basically conceded yeah. that game. And then to, to to have the response be another blowout loss to the Thunder at home is where people are kind of like, all right, what's going on here with Jaeger? What's going on here with the Kings? When, the, when Jaeger pulled those starters after about six or seven minutes against the Timberwolves and after the game basically said that he saw where this game was going, we didn't have the energy, we weren't going to win, um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here for Jaeger. He didn't actually say that exactly, but that was kind of the the uh, summary of his message. Did that rub you the wrong right. way like it did some other people? It really didn't. Um, I I was watching this game very closely. I was writing the recap about it, and um, I don't know. I mean, I felt the same way. You could, I mean, you could see it even before. Uh, he started pulling guys like the, the team started off so slow and you know obviously it was a back-to-back they had just flown in from Dallas that day um, you know and, and the thing that we got to really think about is the Kings are playing this super high-paced game and it's gonna have this type of effect every once in a while I mean we just can't run at full speed all the time, every game, back-to-backs, traveling in between. Uh, you know, I mean, this it brings up the bigger question, which is, you know, is that sort of a pace sustainable throughout an entire season? 
Um, you know, for a guy like Fox, maybe it's not that big of an issue, but when we've got older, um, older role play, older role players, you know, that can be a real issue. I, I mean, Costa, I know ended up playing, uh, almost 30 minutes in that game. So it, it does become a concern, but I, I have no problem with, with, with Coach Yeager's decision. It really did feel like it was going to be wasted effort and, um, you know, I mean, it, right now, if we had won the OKC game at home, I think that, you know, this is completely in the past and, and you know, we're not thinking about that. Yeah, I agree with that um, 100%. Uh, the part about if they had won OKC, it wouldn't have been an issue. But I, the problem I had with what Jaeger did is because of the story now. It has nothing to do with what he actually did because I don't mind him, you know, taking a game off. This is an awkward way to do it because most teams would just rest their players before tip-off and not give them a chance to win the game and then pull them back once you realize it wasn't going to happen. Um, like, yeah, this would have been a total non-story if Jaeger just sat those guys, which makes it interesting. Like, that's just a funny way for Jaeger to do it. But what I didn't like, or, or what uh, I guess I would criticize Jaeger for, is that when you pull a move like that, an unconventional move, and you're the Sacramento Kings, you kind of open yourself up to a narrative coming from it, and you open yourself up to this being a story. And if you don't respond to the next game against OKC, which the Kings didn't, then it sort of starts to become a thing. And uh, in Sacramento, if you've been following this team at all for the last 12 years, little things become big things all the time. And it's really stupid the way that it happens. And I'm not sure how it happens. Maybe it's our fault. People like you know myself and you and everyone else were just talking about it, and that's why it becomes an issue. But... You know, if the Kings don't respond the next game and the next game and it starts to snowball, then people will inevitably look back to this weird game where Jaeger basically decided that he was going to take a loss here um, for a team that if you are pushing for the playoffs and we can argue whether that's actually their goal or if it's a realistic goal, you can't really be taking nights off when you are, you know, if you make the playoffs, you're going to be at seven or eight seed. The West is super competitive. Can the Kings afford to take a night off? A lot of people would argue no if you're pushing for the playoffs. If you're not really pushing for the playoffs and you're kind of just trying to develop and keep the young guys fresh and see where the standings end up at the end of the year without trying to go all out every single game, then, you know, conceding a game like that is fine. But what I was worried about, and it's starting to actually happen, is the story now that something is wrong with the Kings when, you know, maybe there isn't anything wrong with the Kings. Well, I think that, you know, it does create a level of chaos and, you know, around the media and around fans concern. But, you know, I think for Dave Yeager, I, you know, he, I think he's a chaos is a ladder kind of guy. I think that he, I think he kind of enjoys uh, stirring the pot and, or, or at least doesn't care whatsoever what anyone thinks. You know what I mean? Definitely. He, he's, he's not a fan of the media. He, you know, I mean, you can see it in his face that he, he doesn't enjoy talking to the media. He doesn't care about the media. You know, these narratives, they don't mean anything. He's going to go out and he's going to do his best to coach his team over an 82-game season that he can. And, um, you know, with the whole, you know, and I hate to bring it up again because it's this is another story that everyone has been talking about for a while, but with the whole Brandon Williams thing, I, you know, I do question if he – would be too upset to to create some bad blood there. Like you know, I mean, if if there if the concern is, oh, Jaeger could be fired if he pulls a stunt like this again. You know, I don't think he's going to lose sleep over that. I don't know how attached he is to this job. You know, ultimately, anyway. 
That's an interesting point because we saw what happened with him in Memphis. How you know he, you would think his relationship to guys like Marcus Ole and Mike Conley and the Grit and Grind Grizzlies and that team that he cried about, you know, in the for making the playoffs that right. famous day. Like if he wasn't attached enough to that team to keep that job, you know, I think your point um, is definitely accurate. That despite how much he talks about how much he loves his locker room and he loves his players, which I have no reason to doubt that the the players seem to like him and respond to his coaching, but. To think that there's yes. like a super strong, impenetrable attachment between Jaeger and the Kings would be foolish. And that's that may be why he is acting a little bit reckless, because he will find another job just like he did when he got out of Memphis if something happens here between him and Williams and the Kings. You know, I he absolutely will. Let me clarify that. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't mean um, when I say attachment to the team uh, lacking that, I don't mean about the players, because mm-hmm. I you know, I, I don't have any doubt that he is you know, 100% invested in developing guys like Fox, guys like Bagley. I, I have no, I have no doubt that he's doing. He, you know, he loves his guys. He wants these guys to succeed. That's not what I was getting at, and I'm sure you understood that. But you know, I'm referring to a lot of Divots and Brandon Williams, and you know, the the front office dynamic, which has obviously been less than ideal with him. You know, their relationship has not been, uh, you know, a walk in the park. Obviously, so. Um, and, and also, I think that you were referencing there was that he uh, seemed to sort of uh, agitate his way out of Memphis intentionally, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it was in order to get a more secure job, more years, more money, and he got that. And I think the way that he's coached so far this year, like you said, does guarantee him another job somewhere. You know, this isn't like he flamed out and went, um, you know, 20 and 62 and then he, then he got fired and then it's like, oh man, does he even get another chance? It, that's not the case anymore. You know, he's, he's proven that he's an NBA coach and, uh, and I think there would be other teams interested in him if, if this, this, uh, treacherous dynamic in the Kings front office continues. I did want to highlight, uh, last night's game against the Oklahoma city thunder. Cause we are recording this on a Thursday. The Kings played, um, like I said, the thunder last night. Bad loss, well, you know, maybe it wasn't a bad It was a bad final score, but when you consider, right. you know, the Kings, they were missing what I would say was two of their top five players in uh, Bogey and Marvin Bagley and Shumpert. One of, if not their best role player, was also out. So, and the Thunder have been at the top of the Western Conference all year. Very good defensive team. A team they beat twice already, so you know the Thunder were coming in here really wanting this win. So, and the Kings right. lost. They got blown out. That's fine. But uh, Willie Cauley-Stein's performance, particularly against Steven Adams, but just his slow uh, decline since the beginning of the year, I'd say. Something that you've been on top of all year. I don't know if the listeners necessarily know this, but, you know, we talk a lot. And you've been on this uh, Willie Cauley-Stein thing all year. So, I'll give you the floor here. Talk to me about Willie Cauley-Stein last night and tell me what it means for the Kings and, and his fit on this team going forward. So, yeah, this is interesting because you and I have had an ongoing debate this season. Uh, my side of the debate is that Willie Colestine is not a good basketball player, and your side of the debate is that he is a good basketball player. You know, I, I'll allow you to rescind that now if you want, but what's happening is that uh, we're seeing a guy who has an incredibly gifted physical body. And, physical, you know, his he is – you know, seven feet tall. He's got an even larger wingspan. He is fast. You know, he, he can jump high. He is physically, he has a physically elite tool set. 
yet he is not bringing any of the skills, any of the basketball IQ that he needs to bring to be a valuable NBA player. And then the technical skills aren't there either. He can't space the floor. So what, you know, what is he doing? You know, I mean, it's not even just spacing the floor. He can't space the floor. He can't make the defensive plays that he needs to. He can't roam around the paint. He can't block shots. Like we, you know, that is really at this point becoming a really serious problem. The fact that he's, you know, an under a block per game guy as a seven foot starting center. That's, that's a really big problem when you're not bringing anything, um, you know, above average to the, to the game. You don't have any, you know, he's not even finishing at the rim at the 50th percentile for bigs. I mean, he's, I don't see anything that he's bringing other than, and this is something you've pointed out numerous times. And I do agree with other than he can hang with the pace of this team. Right. So, I think what's going on here is that uh, we're seeing that Marvin Bagley is his eventual replacement. You know, the injury has certainly slowed him down uh, at least a couple of weeks, but uh, if it were up to me, this would be fast tracked because uh, Marvin can block shots. He can stretch the floor a little bit. He can uh, put in the effort uh, that it takes to keep his hands above his waist on defense, because this is the thing that really drives me crazy is, you know, I see, I see Willie just hanging out. Like I see him with his hands, you know, hanging below his belt when he's under the hoop and, you know, it's in a, it's a, we're in a half court defensive set. I mean, you know, get into a stance, keep your hands up. I mean, use that body. You, you know, you have an incredibly gifted physical tool set. Now it's time to use it. This is an awful time to try and defend uh, Willie Colley Stein right now. So, and I'm not even really going to try and do that because uh, I'm not, happy with him, especially after last night. I will say just for the is really good or bad argument, I, it kind of depends on how you define good because is he a starting center in the NBA? And by virtue of being a starting center in the NBA, does that make you good? Because you're in, you're one of the top 30, 35 players over like 6'10". Does that make you a good player to you? To you? Doesn't seem like it to me. Like most of the time, no. I think Willie Cauley-Stein is good sometimes He's bad sometimes, and he's fine most of the time. Maybe that's not what I what I had said earlier in the year, but that's kind of how I feel about him. Still, now, uh, I think he'll probably make over $10 million this summer. So is that an above-average yeah. NBA player, and does that make you good? I mean, you're not good defined on how much money you make, but good players do get well, paid hold the on, money. Well, hold on, because you hear the quote last night about you know how much DeAndre Jordan and Steven Adams how you know they get paid to rec- uh, rebound twenty boards a game. So did you see the quote or did you just read it? Because the, watching it, I heard, I I saw the video as well. Okay, so um, but I mean no, wh- I mean what did you what did you what was your interpretation? Of so that? I have the I have a little blurb here, but I'll so Willie's quote, uh, uh, I think it was Jason Jones or one of the Kings media members was asking Willie Cauley Stein, you know, about the Kings struggles on the glass, and Willie had said that. Uh, guys like Steven Adams and DeAndre Jordan get paid $100 million for their rebounding and defense. I don't think he was saying, like, that's... Some people were interpreting it as, I'm not doing those things because I'm not getting paid $100 million. Where I took it was like, yeah, yeah, that's what those guys are getting paid for. So, like, they were doing their job by murdering him on the glass and on defense. I took it to mean that he is, uh, yet again, interested in money. You know, I mean, he said before the year that... He's here to get paid. That it's time for him to get paid. I think that, you know, all the stuff that I mentioned before, um, you know, where I feel let down by his game, that's not even to mention the 
mentality, right? It's not even to mention the the quotes, the, you know, comparing himself to Porzingis, you know, some of the, you know, to be frank, a little bit of boneheaded stuff every now and then. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's another, uh, something we got to consider here. And yeah, I mean, what I took it to mean is basically that, like, I think that it's, uh, it's not even, it wasn't even directed. I don't think that it was something that he thought about beforehand, but I just think that it goes to show that, uh, you know, he's thinking, um, you know, maybe if I, I do get my, my boards up to 12, 13 a game, you know, then I'll get my 20 million instead of thinking, you know, how do I improve my game? You know, how do I make this team win? How do I get us to the playoffs? That quote didn't, didn't bother me that much. There was another quote later in his presser that really bothered me that I'll mention in a minute, but just going back to that one, I do, I do really think what Willie was saying there was, what did you expect Steven Adams and DeAndre Jordan to do on a night-to-night basis? That's what they get paid for. Like, that's why they earn their money is because they're known as good defensive and rebounding players. So I didn't take too much issue with that. What I did take major issue with is that Jason Jones then pushed Willie a little bit more on that question and said, well, you know, can you take any motivation from what those guys are doing? Like, can you look at those guys and say, hey, that's something that, you know, that gives me a roadmap of how I can make that much money. And Willie's answer to that yeah. was that he was already doing it, which is just false and like delusional. <laughs> that's what he said. Yeah, he said, well, he said, yeah. he told Jason, you know, well, that's what, I'm, that's what I've been doing. And it's like, no, Willie, you haven't. And you're also not like Porzingis on offense, like he said last year. So, you know, that's Willie and his delusional quotes. And that's where it would make anybody, myself included, say, like, man, I just, whether he's good or bad, I just don't want to deal with that guy's quotes anymore. Um, if NBA is, is like a, cutthroat business so you can't you can't not employ players just because of what they say because sometimes you just need that production and you can kind of just you know let the let the crazy comments slide but yeah that's why i was saying before we started talking about willie that it's a it's a hard day to defend willie right now especially after after comments like that and to be clear i'm you know i'm not saying that oh this guy said that that means he can't be on the team or that i want him off the team but it's just it's just that i i again i feel a little bit disappointed and you know it's just another thing. It's like he had a really rough game. He's having a really rough, you know, 15 game stretch, whatever it is now. And, and it's just like, I didn't want to hear that, you know? And I, I, I think there are a lot of fans that heard that quote and are just like bummed, you know, it's, it bums me out that that's where, that's what he's talking about. And that, that his response, uh, you know, to, you know, I think the question, yeah, like you said, the question was, you know, is that something you can add to your game? And he's like, I'm already doing it. You're not, Willie. You, you're not blocking shots. You're not making a defensive impact. It, and it's just, what's he still averaging eight boards a game? And he's our starting center. I, I, I really take umbrage with the concept of, that he's even a top 30 center because, first of all, okay, all right. He may not be. Let me ask you this. This is, this is, so here's my point, though, is that the center position isn't even really real anymore. Like, you know, I mean, the the best the center in the best lineup in the league is is a six foot eight guy named Draymond Green. Like, it's not about you know, are you the thirtieth best uh, seven footer? Because it's that's not pertinent anymore in today's NBA. And you know, a guy like DeAndre Jordan, I I think it's arguable that he's even adding any value uh, to his team. And he's and he is blocking shots. He's doing he is rebounding more than Willie, but. Even he, you know, I mean, if you shoot 
from the free throw line and you can't take jumpers. And, you know, I mean, I don't know that these guys have significant value period. I, I, I don't, I don't know that that's the way the league is headed. But are there enough guys that do what you want them to do? You know what I'm saying? Like, like guys like DeAndre Jordan and Willie Colley Stein kind of have to exist because there aren't enough of the new age players that every team can play and max out for, you know, 28 million and, and 33 minutes every night to play center. Like there aren't just, there aren't Jaron Jackson juniors everywhere. So you're going to have centers like Willie Colley Stein and DeAndre Jordan who are pretty limited and Jordan's better than Willie Stein. So I'm not even comparing him to DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan's better, um, much better because he does things like rebound and play defense. Your point is, is definitely fair, and, and I, I do agree with it in some ways. I just think that there aren't enough players better than Willie. I agree that there is, like, the concept, like, there are players that I would rather, like, we, we talked about uh, Miritich the other day. That's a guy that I would much rather have than Willie, but that's a guy that you're probably going to have to max out or close to max out this summer to get him. It's not that there aren't players better. It, aren't, it isn't that there aren't players that I like. They're fit more next to Bagley long-term. It's just how many of those guys are there in the NBA? How do you get one if you're the Kings? Well, we already have one. What, Billy? His name is Marvin Bagley. Oh, well, yeah. But Marvin who do you put next to Marvin Bagley? I mean, like, Harry Giles hopefully one day. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd ha- happily put the Elites next to Bagley. Right? I mean, right now, I prefer Bagley to starting center, period. But, um, you know, obviously, as time goes on, that's going to become an easier situation. As time goes on, as Bagley gets uh, stronger, as Bagley gets more skilled, it's going to become, you know, a no-brainer eventually in a year or two, um, hopefully before that. But, I mean, you know, to that point, I think that there are tons of guys that can do this. I mean, I think we just saw, what, five guys go in the last last draft that can do this stuff. Your Jaron Jacksons, your Marvin Bagley's, your Wendell Carter's, your, even your Bombas stretching the floor. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that these guys are, are becoming more frequent every day. Uh, you look at a guy like Brooke Lopez, who was signed uh, on a, you know, I think it was just a biannual, uh, you know, like a $5 million deal, deal somewhere in that range. And he's been, I think he's got the best net rating of any center in the league right now, the last time I checked. And he's reigning in threes. He's shooting an insane volume of threes. And you know, he does enough of the traditional center stuff that, um, you know, you can call him a center and then he can provide that there. But then he's also giving you so much more. And then, I mean, you you know, you see guys like Pascal Siakam is getting minutes at the five. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, that's probably a little bit too creative for the Kings are right now. But uh, if Harry Giles can can figure out this foul thing and he can play the four, if he can facilitate a little bit there or if he can bulk up and play some better defense, he could be a five, potentially. Uh, I think it's going to take a little bit longer, but I think Bagley's a five already. I think Bagley is going to be a five, eventually. I think that's his... It has to be his position almost by default, because the way that fours are in the NBA now, you really need someone with a little with some more perimeter skills, particularly on, on defense, or, you know, like, the Kings have been playing Justin Jackson and, and Troy Williams at the four now since Bagley went out, and I, I don't think either of those players are ideal fours but a lot of teams are playing that like Tobias Harris Miles Bridges type four and if you if you look at teams like that then Marvin Bagley at the five is kind of perfect but do you think Marvin Bagley is keeping Steven Adams off the glass last night like that's my only issue with Marvin Bagley at the five is that I see the same issues that that Willie Colley Stein has on the glass uh less so protecting the rim because Marvin Bagley is already a much better rim protector but that's my only issue with 
a yeah. guy like Marvin Bagley playing the five full time is he's also going to struggle against these big centers every night. Of course he is. He's going to struggle, but he's going to do every bit of a, you know, I think he's going to do just as good of a job as Willie and probably better because he's actually going to block a shot or two. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that he, you know, is going to come in and get 20 rebounds a game over Steven Adams, but he's going to, he can easily replicate what Willie did with some upside. And the fact that he's 19, you know, means that in a year or two, he's going to, he has potential to be a lot better than that. And additionally, he has the, you know, the, you know, the jumping ability, the second jump, the, he could, he can work his way around, you know, maybe he can't bully these guys around, but, you know, he can try to craft his way around them. He can use his, his unique set of skills, which he actually has. And, you know, included with the effort, included with the fundamentals to try to find ways, you know, find ways around that. So are you, uh, I think I know the answer to this question, but for other people listening may not, are you just out on Willie Colley-Stein and keeping him on this team past this year or even past the trade deadline for that matter? It's all about the money. Um, you know, I, I think that you mentioned earlier, you think he'll get a, uh, over 10 million per year in the summer. I mean, that's to me, that's, uh, that's a, you know, that's no, no good for me. I, I think that would be a mistake. Uh, especially if we're talking any more than a couple of years. I mean, I think that's a huge mistake. I'm, I'd be happy to keep him on the team at uh, six or seven mil, maybe eight mil, and let him uh, come off the bench because that type of player can be really good uh, in stints and in certain situations. I would love to see his energy and his athleticism off the bench for 18, 20 minutes a game. I think that'd be great. But uh, and then, But then it goes back to the... You know, where his head's at, and you wonder if he could accept that. It's a tough call. For me, it is. For you, for you, maybe not. For me, it is because I hate to see the Kings lose players that are, you know, I'm hesitant to even call him good, you know, after, after last night. But I'm hesitant to see the Kings lose players, period, that are, you know, proven NBA contributors in, in one way or another. And we do see how he fits with the pace. You see the chemistry he's built with everybody as a lob target. All things you hope Marvin Bagley can do. And that's what makes his fit with the Kings long-term interesting. If you're looking at it, not from our perspective, but from the perspective of Brendan Williams and Vlade Divac, who just drafted a guy in Marvin Bagley that is clearly a long-term center. And so they can't be thinking about paying Willie Cauley-Stein a ton of money. So it's going to be really interesting to monitor no. his free agency and how the Kings handle it. Because we saw this when the Kings drafted Papillanis and uh, Labissiere while they had DeMarcus Cousins here, those guys aren't Marvin Bagley, but it was always like, man, the Kings are really drafting a lot of centers or big men for a team that is probably going to max out DeMarcus Cousins. Turns out thinking there was something weird going on was the correct call because they never maxed out DeMarcus Cousins. They ended up trading him. And I have a feeling we're heading in that direction with Willie Cauley-Stein where the Kings have Harry Giles and they have Marvin Bagley and they signed Bielitsa and the writing on the wall says they aren't going to keep Willie Cauley-Stein based on what they've done in the draft and free agency in years prior. So the, the easy prediction here is that Willie Cauley-Stein isn't, isn't on the team. And I mean, I will, I mean, I will legitimately be shocked. I mean, it seems like what you're saying is you think someone's going to offer him four years, 50 million, maybe 60 million, right? Yeah, but the Kings are weird. I know it's a different regime, but, Isaiah Thomas was offered a $10 million contract. The Kings, under Pete D'Alessandro, so totally different regime, set their number at six or, or five and just said, they, you know, we aren't going to match that. 
with Willie Colley Stein, I think even if the king, even if an offer comes in below what I think it might be, to the point where you would say, hey, maybe the king should match this, they may just be out, period, regardless of the number. And that's simply based on the amount of cat space they have, drafting Marvin Bagley, a center, having Harry Giles, signing Bielitsa, and seeing where the skill set between Bagley and, and Willie Colley Stein is somewhat redundant if you, you know, Bagley can do more than Willie Colley Stein, and in theory, Bagley can do everything that Willie Colley Stein already does, so there is some skill set redundancy yeah. there. So I can see them just being out on Willie Colley Stein, period, regardless of the offer that comes in. I'm fine with that. I, see, I would be okay with that, too. My attachment was never to Willie Colley Stein. My attachment is not to take away from a team that's performing pretty well. So as long as there's a, a plan in place to sign somebody that might be a better fit or use that money in a, in a positive way instead of like throwing it at Ennis Cantor or something, as long as they're going out there and using that somewhere else and not wasting an asset, if you can even call Willie Colley Stein an asset right now. Um, but the other way this can go is if they do start Marvin Bagley... Once he comes back, like let's say Willie Colley Stein struggles through, throughout the the uh, set of games that Marvin Bagley's out, and they decide Marvin Bagley comes back, he looks healthy, we're going to start him. You can see Willie Colley Stein's value in free agency tank. If he's a bench big for the second half of the year, playing fifteen or twenty minutes while Bagley is getting his developmental minutes towards the end of the, towards the end of the season, which should happen anyways. Mm-hmm. Like you should at some point start your number two overall pick at some point this season. Yeah. I think everyone's pretty much in agreement with that. You're going to see. Uh, the number, the zeros continue to fall off whatever Willie Colley Stein's contract is going to be this summer. So would you support him? Uh, would you support trying to move him in a trade? Oh, yeah, definitely. If you're getting something for Willie Colley Stein, I'm all for it. And that is probably a good segue to the, unless you had anything else to say about Willie Colley Stein, to the, uh, to the Otto, Otto Porter discussion. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to, to basically transition to because that is, you know, I mean, that, He's the name that uh, I know that I, I brought it up in the trade column, and I know that we've all been talking about it. I mean, that that's uh, – and people, you know, I mean, you'd be surprised. People are – people, you know, really go down uh, – you know, really, really try to die on that hill, the Willie Colley Stein hill, and say, you know, Porter's not worth worth really. Zach Lowe might agree with that, um, not to put words in his mouth. But I did ask for questions on Twitter before we started recording, and somebody wanted us to react to Zach Lowe's most recent podcast. Uh, I'm only about halfway through it right now, but it's a really good discussion from two members of the national media about uh, your Sacramento King. So if anyone hasn't listened to the low post yet, I highly suggest checking out that uh, about 20 minute conversation about the Kings, but they were talking about Otto Porter and how his fit with the Kings. And there was some, some questions from Zach Lowe specifically about Otto Porter's fit with the Kings, not so much the player that he is supposed to be, but things like him being overpaid and injury prone and having a down year if that's really the kind of player the Kings should target, maybe they can do better. Is that uh, something you agree or disagree with there? So to be uh, to be fair, I didn't listen to the podcast. I, I didn't either. I, I we, we both were, we both listened to the first half and then ran out of time before our uh, before we started recording. But so I don't want to I don't want to you know criticize anything that he said specifically. So I can only take it from my own you know from my own point of view. But um, you know for me. Sure, Porter, uh, you know, he com- comes with a pretty significant price tag, but, um, you know, cap space in Sacramento just isn't what it is in, in New York and what it is in L.A. and what it is in, you know, even a place like Washington, if, if they ever had any cap space. So, um, 
you know, the, when I look at his salary, it doesn't scare me at all. Um, I mean, I, I see it as being, okay, maybe, maybe he's $10 million overpaid at the most. Well, it, you know, just so happens we have $10 million sitting around doing nothing, you know? So that part of it doesn't scare me. The injury prone thing, I don't know if I, if I agree with that. I mean, I, you know, he's, he's a little bit dinged up right now. I know that he has missed a couple of games, but I never have thought of him as someone who's perpetually missing time. Am I wrong about that? No, I have the, the, uh, the stats up now. Played 74 games in 14-15, 75 games in 15-16, 80 games in 16-17, 77 games in 17-18, and this year he's played 25 so far. So a pretty healthy player uh, with the track record. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly no major injuries in there. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm not worried about that. And, I mean, I just think that, and I think that everyone agrees with this, that the Kings are really lacking that combo forward, the guy that can play a little three and four, can stretch the floor and defend. I mean, we don't have anyone like that. I, I mean, I guess you can say Justin Jackson, but uh, that's a stretch. Actually, this is kind of uh, kind of the same point I made for Willie, although Otto Porter is a much better player. If the argument is the Kings can do better than Otto Porter, I have no argument against that. Like, sure, go do better, but show me who you're going to do better with. And that's my same point with Willie Cauley-Stein. Like, do I want him on the team? Is he a frustrating player? Like, he's super frustrating, don't necessarily want him on the team, but show me better. And for Otto Porter, that's my my point to anyone who maybe doesn't want the Kings to acquire him. Show me a better, realistic option. I think in season, you're definitely not doing better than Otto Porter. In free agency, you are hoping that maybe a guy like Tobias Harris, if you can even call it Tobias Harris better than Otto Porter, like maybe you have a shot at a guy like that, or Harrison Barnes, if Harrison Barnes opts out. But for in-season trades especially if you as a front office have decided that Willie Cauley-Stein is not in your long-term future and you can get a guy like Otto Porter without giving up one of the uh, the core, which I don't think the Kings would trade anyway, so I'm not really worried about them doing anything with Buddy Heald or Bogdanovich or Fox or Bagley. Yeah, go get Otto Porter. To me, that makes all the sense in the world. And, and as far as the concerns, I get it. But again, show me, show me a better deal. Show me a better fit. Show me a, a realistic player the Kings can get that is better than Otto Porter, and we can talk about that one too. But right now, Porter's the guy that's available. Porter's the guy that fits. Well, I mean, that's just kind of a – people who are saying that, that's just kind of a crazy thing to say anyway because, I mean, the Kings have, I believe, like 53 million in cap space next year. So, like, the implication would be that we're going to get two max guys and that Porter would take away from that second guy because we have enough space to add Porter and max someone. So, I mean, that's not happening. Like, I, I mean, even the most optimistic Kings fan isn't like, oh, we're getting KD, you know, and Butler. Like, what, are you out of your mind? Like, I mean, I get trying to have keep a max slot open. That makes sense to me. But it, you can do that with Porter. So that isn't that up to me at all. I, I don't get that at all. I think Kings fans know this, so I don't understand the argument against it. Like, we've lived through this for so long, they should know this by now. But last summer, the Kings walked into free agency with more cap space than any team. And they didn't sign anybody for about three weeks. And they barely walked away with Nemanja Bielitsa and Yogi Ferrell. And that was after both players had backed out of deals with other teams. And granted, the Kings are going right. to come into free agency in a much better position now than they were last summer. Uh, if the Dave Yeager thing doesn't blow up, then they could actually be in a worse position now than they were last summer. And that's not out of the realm of possibility either. Because if the front office explodes and Yeager's fired and this turns into another 
mess, which, you know, there's a decent chance of that happening, then you're you're coming into free agency in a, in a really bad spot. But assuming the season goes the way it goes and they end the year, you know, 35, 38 wins, missing the playoffs uh, by a few games, you're going into free agency in, a, in some position of power, but we're still talking about Sacramento Kings here. They just, they don't sign free agents. They never have. Expecting that to change is, is a little silly, especially this summer when there's 30 teams and like 75% of them have Matt's cap space or, or pretty close to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the Kings should be selling cap space um, as a commodity. You know, I mean, this is how, that's how, you know, I mean, we're at this massive, the, the, King, the Kings are at this massive disadvantage uh, in the free agent market and in, in being able to use cap space and anyone that pays attention whatsoever uh, knows that. So, what they should be doing is, is, you know, taking that and turning it on its head and making it into an advantage and trying to get Denver's first round pick like the Nets did, or, you know, trying to get uh, picks for guys like Bazemore, trying to get, you know, like they should be trying to talk to Portland and get them to, you know, help them under the tax line while taking on the protected first. I mean, there's no reason not to do that. Uh, I don't understand any reason not to do that. And I mean, you know, I guess now you could argue maybe we can find a better use of that $11 million if we're trying to push the playoffs. But in the offseason, that should be, you know, completely, like, you know, priority number one because it, what it does is it takes a weakness of the Kings and it turns it into a strength. So it's, it's just as confusing to me. And, and you know, and going back to the, the Willie thing, like, you know, if we are in a position where we can get Willie for – 10 million or like even 12 million, like you said, for a short period of time, I'm okay with that because, you know, for me, I'm looking at it like this cap space is completely expendable for two more years because then we have to extend Bogey and, and Buddy. Um, so, and that's Porter's has to, you know, with the player option, he's got the chance that we could bring in Porter, keep him on this sort of elevated contract, but it won't affect those years where we're expecting our cap space to, to diminish because of the, you know, keeping the players we have right now. I did want to talk to you about the Stockton Kings because you've been covering the games down there. What have you seen out of the Stockton Kings? What has been your experience uh, in the arena there? Uh, first year in Stockton, Winion Gabriel's down there, of course. I think, uh, I don't know if you were at the Harry Giles game, but Harry Giles was down there too for, for a period. He's down there now again. Um, so give me your uh, dispatch from Stockton. Yeah, you know, um, it's a, it's a really awesome experience down there. They are uh, they're very closely tied to the Kings. It's actually um, under one umbrella, so they're you know, it's all owned by the same you know ownership group. It's all uh, it's it's an extension of the Sacramento Kings. Not uh, it's not like a partnership or anything like that. They, they are one. You know what I'm saying? So uh, a lot of the games down there, you, I've seen. Vlade down there numerous times, Peja, you know, all, all these guys are down there. Brandon Williams, uh, when me and me and Will uh, were having a having a chat and having a hot dog up at the top level, Brandon Williams just walked right by us and we just said what's up and, and talked to him. Um, yeah, and uh, got to talk to Harry, which was great. You know, I saw his 30-point uh, game. We got to talk to him after the game. That was great. And, um, yeah, Wenyon is down there. Um he he had a nice 28 point game, but uh, I got to say that I'm not, 
as high on him as guys like Bryant are. Um, he's he's really looking more like a traditional big, and he's not he's not giving us um, any stretch or any uh, any hopes that he can he can fill that stretch forward role. Um, at least I don't see it right now. But you know he's a young guy, and things can continue to change and evolve. Um, we might see Troy Williams down there soon, you know, possibly. I, I don't know. You know, I, I know they're trying, really trying to, to milk that full 40 days, 45 days, excuse me, on his two-way contract. But it's just a great environment. And, um, you know, I really, uh, really have been impressed with Coach Ty Ellis, who is, um, I don't know, everything that, that comes out of that dude's mouth is just so on point. You know, I mean, we, we went down there and, talked to him after Harry's game and they had lost the game by a big margin, but Harry played great. And, you know, he was like very clear that this is what they're there for. You know, he said his, his quote was, we're here for a reason, not a season. And he said, you know, I don't care if we make the playoffs. I don't care if, you know, we're here to develop these guys, you know, every day I'm going to try to do what we can to win, but you know, this isn't what the Stockton Kings are, are here for. You know, it's, it's to, it's to make the uh, Sacramento Kings, you know, better in the long run, and to to provide all those benefits to the to the big league team. Are they playing the same style that the Kings are playing right now? Like, do you know if there's implementation of the same, I don't know, set schemes, offenses, things like that? Not at all, which is interesting. Um, they're they are uh, playing a lot of uh, design plays. They are not a high paced team. You know, and I think a lot of that's got to do with uh, some of these guys being in their 30s. You know, I mean, they had starters in their 30s. There's a lot of journeymen, you know, in the G League. So I don't think they can play at the at the speed that the Kings are playing at anyway. But, you know, at the same time, I I think it's like a fundamentals league. You know, they're trying to, you know, a coach like Ty is trying to teach these guys fundamentals. And, and I know one thing he really rails on is trying to get the fouls out of this guy's uh, system and out of their game because, you know, Wenyon and, uh, and Harry and, uh, you know, guys like Cody Dumps, uh, Sac State guy, is, uh, I mean, the, the younger guys, they're all just foul machines. And, uh, you know, he says it and he's on him about it. And he's, uh, he's trying to keep, you know, sometimes I guess you got to slow the game down to, to show them, the fundamentals a little bit more and, and hopefully they bring that with them back with the Sacramento. That's actually kind of interesting. Cause that's what uh, Dave Yeager preached last year and even coming into this year as why he played slower last year. He, he talked about last year being like a building block year. Got to teach the guys how to play first. And then this year the trading wheels came off. I don't know if that's totally applicable to a G league team because there's so much roster turnover year to year. You're not necessarily building to something else because guys are moving in and out. Um, even like the guys who are supposed to be there longer term, like Wenyan Gabriel or Troy Williams or two-way guys are coming up and down. So there isn't as much roster continuity, but as far as like building and developing from the ground up, teaching fundamentals instead of crazy pace, uh, that kind of does go in line with Jaeger's philosophy as far as development, developing players. So I wonder if uh, now that they have the team in Stockton, that, that they can kind of stay at that slower pace and, uh, and the Kings can stay at that, you know, the, the Sacramento Kings can stay at that higher pace. But if they need to send someone down there for a couple of games to, to go through some of those motions, you know, maybe that's, you know, certainly that's going to be more well-received than, you know, slowing down the big league game for a few games or, or half a season or uh, something like that. But, yeah, I, 
I've been really, you know, excited to be a part of that, um, you know, a part of covering that organization. And also, um, you know, the, uh, the PR person down there is also works for the Kings and they're going to be hooking me up with some uh, media passes for the Sacramento games uh, starting in January. So I'm really excited about that too. That's awesome. Um, we should probably talk about Troy Williams while we're here in the, uh, in the G league section of the podcast, because he's got to be in the single digits as far as his dates left with the team are concerned. I think the last officially reported number was by James Hamm and it was at seven. And that was after last night's game. Where do you see that going? Is Troy Williams a guy, you know, Troy Williams came here, played really well, great energy basketball his first 10 or so games. It's kind of been a little bit downhill from there. Not super downhill, but he hasn't had the impact he had earlier in his stint. Is that a guy that you want to see the Kings keep around? Like, we're reaching that date, so they're going to have to cut somebody. We all assume that somebody's going to be Ben McLemore just because he's the lowest paid, most uh, expendable player on the roster. But even that, is yeah. that something where you're like, all right, I will sacrifice being able to trade Ben McLemore to keep Troy Williams up with the big league roster for the ne- for the rest of the year? Is that worth it to you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, for me, uh, with the way this roster is constructed, you 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 got to think that any guy who's who's six seven six eight and doesn't have an obvious exploitable weakness is a player of value for this team. You know, I mean. I think that Williams has been a standard sort of replacement level player in the NBA. And to find a, a guy that's going to do that at six, seven, six, eight at that small forward, uh, occasionally power forward position, that's actually pretty rare. Um, he is shooting well this season. Um, you know, he's not, you know, he's not a star. No one's going to, no one's asking him to be a star. No one's expecting him to do that, but he's giving you solid replacement level play. And I, I don't think there are many solid replacement level players available there um but it's a whole different story when we're talking about a shooting guard who isn't a great shooter in ben mclemore um and it's tough because uh obviously something needs to be done i i think that it's really hard to predict the moves the kings will make um because and you know to be fair any gm will make uh but it, they're not always logical, you know, but if, if I was going to go off, off of logic, I think what they'd try to do is, is push through a trade in the next week, even if it's not the greatest trade in the world, but find a way to get uh, Ben McLemore somewhere else or find a way to, you know, trade two guys for one guy, you know, clear out a contract spot and, uh, you know, figure something out, figure something out to, to get Troy Williams that space because, you know, or buy out Zebo because I don't think Zebo wants to play anymore. And something needs to be done because uh, Macklemore is not adding anything. Zebo's not adding anything. You know, honestly, what I thought about and I went and looked at it because Scal's not doing anything. I was like, well, this cut Scal. He's only making a million dollars, but they guarantee his contract for next year. They picked up his player option. So I don't really know what that's about. I, I think that they could have just cut Scal and, you know, that would have been no problem. Uh, now that you mention it, Scal might be the guy they cut um, over Macklemore. Not because Macklemore is good, but early earlier in Williams' tenure when Justin Jackson was struggling, I was like, oh yeah, they got to keep Williams. He's already better than the guy they drafted, you know, two years ago to play backup small forward. Yeah. But yeah. Justin Jackson is starting to play a little bit better. Troy Williams is coming back down to earth a little bit. And now my conflict is, do I want the Kings to cut Ben Macklemore? What we're really talking about here is five point four million dollars. 
and not be able to trade that at the deadline at some point. So my, my first preference would be them making a move before we get to that point. But if it's just keep Troy Williams or cut and lose that five and a half million, that's where I'm a little bit hesitant only because Justin Jackson has been playing better. So you don't need Troy Williams right now. Well, you need him right now because Bogey and Shumpert are out. But if those guys were healthy, you don't sure. need Williams immediately. So I, I might say keep both McLemore and LeBissier up till the trade deadline so you don't lose the opportunity to trade that money. Because once you cut them, the money's gone. It's dead money in your cap. You can't do anything with it. That's my only hesitation. But as far as keeping Williams for the rest of the year, I, I definitely agree that he's showed enough and he's been serviceable to the point where if you have guys that are out and the Kings have unfortunately had that happen multiple times this year and Schumpert's not playing back-to-back still. So there is room for a... Uh, a deep like utility wing like Williams on the roster for sure. Right. Exactly. I mean, our problem, you know, the problem with that is that our two guys who've been hurt this year are both small forwards. So, you know, what if Shumpert can't get fully healthy? You know, I mean, you know, what if knock on wood bogey had another setback? I mean, even if Jackson were to get dinged up, there's just no depth of that position. So I, I actually do think that Williams needs to be, they need to find a way to, to keep him around because if we're talking about making a push to the playoffs, having zero depth or zero options at one position, you know, that's not, that's not going to do it. Um, and I think the best solution would have been to, to cut Scal, but quite frankly, they just one month ago uh, guaranteed his contract for next year. So it's, if they cut him, it, that's not super logical either now because they just cost themselves a you know, million five. We're going to close out the podcast in a few minutes, but I do want to at least touch on the playoff conversation because it's something that continues to come up and will continue to come up so long as the Kings are kind of right there in the mix in the Western Conference standings. But I'm just going to keep this simple and ask you, is this a playoff team? Um, honestly, no. I think it's just a little bit out of their reach, and it's not their fault. You know, if they're in the East, of course. You know, of course right. they can make it. Uh, I think they'd be favored to make it probably. So, you know, it's not on them as far as, I mean, they're, they're playing incredible, you know, relative to what we thought they would be. It's, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a, it's a dream, but, uh, but no, I I don't think that uh, it's just the West is too deep. I mean, they could, they could end up being the, I mean, it's not even out of the realm of possibility that they're the 14th team in the West and win 38 games. That's how deep the West is right now. Even if the Kings got nothing out of this year, but De'Aaron Fox establishing himself as a future star and Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley and Bogdan Laganovich establishing themselves as above average NBA starter slash rotation players, that's a huge win for the Kings, regardless of their record. It just so happens that the record is also much better than we thought. So if you're just taking uh, what we thought was going to happen in the summer and what has happened... The season has already been a huge success, despite how we can record a you know a 45-minute podcast about how bad things have been recently. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, I think everyone, without putting words in anybody's mouth, is pretty happy with how things have gone for the Kings overall. Thrilled. It's been an amazing season so far. All right, Richard, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, uh, check me out on Twitter, please. I love to talk... To all you guys, I uh, love to get in arguments and get my feelings hurt on Twitter. So I'm at Ivanowski NBA. That's I V A N O W S K I N B A. And uh, I write for Sacks on Royalty, obviously. So please do check us out there. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll be 
at the Stockton Kings games. So come down there, say, say what's up to me. And uh, yeah, hopefully some uh, Sacramento Kings games as well uh, starting in January. All right, Richard, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast with me today. I'm sure we'll talk to you shortly. Thank you, sir. All right, thanks, man. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career. A university that will make me feel supported and connected. I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. I'm ready to make my credits count. I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today.